Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is entitled, Dear God. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Who once was a famous billionaire attending a fundraising dinner at the university from which he had graduated. During dinner, he overheard a discussion on the subject of prayer taking place on the other side of the table. After listening for a while, the man of great means uh, proclaimed with a sneer, prayer may work for some of you, but I... I don't need it. Everything I have today, I worked hard for, and I earned it all myself. I didn't ask God for anything. The university president listened patiently as the man of means boasted, and then finally said to him, well, there is one thing you can ask God for that you don't have yet. To which the billionaire said, oh yeah, well, what's that? And the president said gently, well, sir, you could pray for humility. (laughs) It's been said that praying is an act of humility because it demonstrates our dependence on God. Unfortunately, though, because of our inherited sin nature, pride can keep us from praying Or we can become proud in our prayers. God's word makes it clear in several places that if we want to see our prayers heard and to see God respond, then we need to pray with humility. We're continuing a series that I kicked off last week in the book of Psalms called Dear God. I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's word with me to Psalm 34. And if you forgot your Bible today, just raise your hands and we can loan one of ours to you. No need to be ashamed. We want to make sure you have a copy of the Bible to follow along. We have plenty to share. I want to also encourage you to take out the sermon notes that are in your worship folder that you received when you came in today so that you can follow along. Those of you that have been coming to Vanguard for a while know that I like to use uh, a theme verse while preaching through a book of the Bible. One reason that I do this is, uh, is that God's Word is put together in an interconnected way. Uh, verses build chapters that have themes, and then chapters build books that have overall or overarching themes. Uh, In a similar sense, when I do a sermon series, I usually try to focus in on one or two themes, sort of like a a nail or two that I'm going to just hammer for the next several weeks and drive home so that hopefully it'll stick and you'll get it. Um, And so for this reason, I like to use a theme verse and then have us repeat it and and consider it throughout the series, and it kind of ties the whole series together. Another reason that I do it is that I hope and I want to encourage you to join me in, in practicing the spiritual discipline of scripture memorization. It is an important discipline to have, and um, I hope that at least by the end of the series, if we can learn this verse, we will have gotten a couple verses memorized this year. Uh, In Psalm 34, uh, there is a verse in verse 4 that I think captures what I hope we can take away from this series about prayer. Uh, 
I want to encourage you to underline it in your Bible. It's verse 4 in Psalm 34. Posted on the kitchen sink, or excuse me, near the kitchen sink, or on the refrigerator, or maybe on the dashboard of your car, or all the above. But it's a great verse to pray, and it's a great verse to repeat to ourselves, to remind us when we're seeking the Lord for something. David says in Psalm 34, verse 4, key verse for this series, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. I think this verse is special because, first of all, we see David going to the Lord, so that requires some humility. Next, we see in the verse the Lord welcoming him and that he gets an answer from the Lord. And then we also see that not only does he get an answer, he gets delivered. So there is a God moves in his life in a demonstrable way in response to David's prayers. David is testifying to God's responsiveness in prayer. It's my hope that someday in the future, when you come across the book of Psalms or, or you uh, come across Psalm 34, or uh, maybe you're thinking about prayer, you'll, you'll go, oh yeah, Psalms, book one. That's filled with prayers. And, and it's about seeking the Lord in prayer. And, and if I seek the Lord, he'll answer, deliver me from all my fears. That's my hope. That you might impress somebody at a church picnic with that, maybe. So, um, having said that, last week I introduced the book of Psalms, uh, book one, and gave some structure and, and uh, explained the types of Psalms. If you missed that uh, message, I want to encourage you to check it out on our website or on our podcast so that you can have some context for the rest of the series. It will be helpful to you. Uh, the Psalms, you might remember I said, are a prayer journal. At least book one is in the Psalms. They're broken. The entire book of 150 chapters is broken into five books. We're going to just be focusing on book one, which is Psalms 1 to 41. And book one is predominantly a prayer journal for David. We are getting the privilege of looking at the prayers, the personal prayer life, of David and a few other, the godliest people that ever walked on earth. And I think it's proof that all you need to have an effective prayer life is the Word of God and a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the next journal entry in our series is Psalm 8. So if you would turn back there to Psalm 8, and I'm going to give you our big idea, and then we'll begin working our way through uh, the passage. Here is... um, you might remember me talking last week about how the psalms are, can be broken down into about six categories. This particular psalm, Psalm 8, would qualify as a hymn. It's a praise psalm or a praise prayer. Uh, David is praising God for his work in creation and for his care of man. You'll notice in Psalm 8, there's a, most of the psalms have what they call a, a superscription or a Uh, Yes, a superscription that's right under the title of the psalm. And it often will list the author and sometimes instrumentation that would go with it. This particular psalm has uh, the Hebrew word gittith. Now, this word appears, I think, with Psalm 81 and 84 as well. So about three times entirely in the book of Psalms. It's somewhat of a mysterious word because it literally means wine press. However, uh, scholars, Hebrew scholars, aren't united because of the mysteriousness of the word as to what it means. 
The leading theories are uh, that it refers to either a stringed instrument played by the Gittites, such as a lyre, that was a L-Y-R-E, it was a common stringed instrument back then, or that Giddith means this was a festival song sung by wine dressers. So that's the other theory that's out there. Here's our big idea for today that kind of sums up, I think, Psalm 8 in a sentence. And um, given what this psalm says about God's majesty and his care for us, I think prayer is a privilege, not a burden or an entitlement. That's our big idea. Prayer is a privilege. It's not a burden or an entitlement. According to the dictionary, a privilege is a benefit or... uh, an opportunity afforded to a select few. This benefit is uh, granted by someone with greater authority to someone with lesser authority or no authority. In the context here of this series in Psalm 8, um, access through prayer to God uh, is a privilege granted by God only to those that have repented of their sin and by faith trusted in Christ alone for their salvation. Generally speaking, an entitlement, on the other hand, is uh, a right, something claimed by someone just simply born. Uh, On the contrary, a privilege, the privilege of effective prayer, is only afforded to those that have been born again. So with that, if you would look at verse 1 and 2 with me in Psalm chapter 8, David writes... Our Lord, excuse me, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Here's uh, point number one on your outline, the first reason why we should approach the Lord with humility when we pray, and it's that the Lord uniquely created us. He uniquely created us. I want to point out to you also what's interesting is that verse 1 and verse 9 are the same. Uh, There's sort of a musical structure to this prayer. Notice in verse 9 it closes the same way that the psalm opens, with the praise of God's majesty. Now, uh, as we work our way through verse 1, notice, you should see it in your Bible, regardless of translation, there are two names for God in the first verse. Uh, they look the same, but they're not. O oh Lord, the, the word in caps, uh, capital letters, most likely in your Bible as it is in mine, um, this would be the proper personal name of God, Yahweh, or Yehovah, as it sometimes is uh, translated. It means self-existing one. It means no one created him, and he is dependent on no one. Instead, he creates, and then his creation depends on him. So, O Lord, capital letters, Jehovah, Yahweh. And here's the next name, Our Lord, small letters, no caps. The second name of the Lord is different. It's it's Adonai in the original text. Adonai is a name that refers to Uh, God's sovereign, master, ruler, governance, that side of his character. It emphasizes his dominion over all of creation. Adonai, 
Well, what about these names that David has dropped here in verse 1? Well, he continues, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The Hebrew word used here for majestic means to be great or to be awesome. In our English, we use the word majestic most often for mountains. When we go to the mountains here in California and we see God's creation from up high and valleys and vegetation and the clouds and the sky all and how it just shows his artistry. Mountains are something commonly associated with majesty. Mountain views are something that Americans are willing to drive hours to go see and to take pictures of and to post them on social media. And we find ourselves awestruck when we stand there and look at them because they remind us that there's something much larger than us here and that there's a creator that's bigger than us that made them. David was saying that nature reveals God's glory and babies even sing his praises. But he's also saying... God's glory is so great that it cannot be contained in the heavens. Notice in verse 1, you have set your glory above the heavens. <laughs> heaven's pretty high. And then God's glory is above that. Skip down if you would to verse 5. He says, you have made him, referring to man, a little lower than the heavenly beings. Again, he uniquely created us. David's transitioning from praising God for his creation to now praising God for how he made man. He sort of describes an earthly pecking order here in verse 5. We are not God, but we are made in God's image. Genesis 1 talks about that. So we are lower than God as far as authority, but we are above the beasts of the field. We are like God mentally, that we have the capacity to reason, to gain knowledge, to create, to invent. Animals can't do that. We are like God uh, morally in that we have a conscience. We know what's right and what's wrong. We know that murder is wrong. Animals don't know what murder is. They don't feel guilty when they kill another animal. They don't have a culture within a tribe that, well, if you kill another animal, you go to jail for killing that animal. They don't, they don't have that kind of moral culture or thinking. We've been hardwired, though, to know what's right and what's wrong. We're also like God spiritually in that we are eternal. We will live forever with him or we will live forever in a hell separated from God because of our sin. But the souls of men live forever, just like God and his word. We're immaterial in that we have a soul. We're spiritual. Animals are not. We were born and made to have a relationship with God. These are just a few examples of how we are unique and different than the rest of creation. How God made us unique and different. So we are under him in authority, but we are over the creation, and we help him manage it. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this when it comes to prayer? Well, because we're uniquely created, I think one application is we should be thankful for prayer. We've often heard it said that we should be thankful in prayer, but I wonder when the last time is that we were thankful for prayer, that we even can pray. 
In a world which, in which the most talented, most attractive, most connected people tend to get all the attention and are able to pull the strings to get things done, none of that matters if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you know Jesus, according to Isaiah 40, you have access to the God who measures the waters of the earth in his hand. He marked off where the heavens would start and stop. If you know Jesus, you have access to the God that weighed the mountains on a scale before he put them in place, according to Isaiah 40. He sees the nations like a drop in the bucket, and he brings princes to nothing. We may be like grasshoppers to him, as it says in Isaiah 40, verse 22, but on the other hand, Matthew 10:30, Jesus said, the hair on our head is numbered. The hairs on our heads are numbered. Therefore, we should be thankful that we even can pray to the Lord. That he allows us and welcomes us and invites us to come and talk to him. The greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ should cause us to see prayer as something we get to do instead of something that we have to do when we consider who he is and who we are. So, he's uniquely created us, so we should be thankful for prayer. Look at the text with me again, if you would, please. At verses 3 and 4, David continues his praise of the Lord. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Here's the second reason we should approach the Lord with humility when we pray, instead of nonchalant or disrespectfully. The Lord passionately cares for us. Number two is he passionately cares for us. David says the work of your fingers. Interesting how he describes God's fingers in, in creating the creation. Uh, this is an important clue that we should not blow past. Uh, let's not overlook this here. That's, that's important, and here's why. It tells us the size of the Lord in relation to the universe. See, notice it doesn't say that the Lord had to get some large machinery to move the moon into place. It doesn't say that he had to use a crane or even a forklift or even a wheelbarrow. He just had to use his fingers. It also gives us some insight into how much effort it took the Lord to create the universe. You and I don't have to strain to move things with our fingers. And the Lord didn't have to strain either when he put the moon and the stars in place with his fingers. You see, things that are moved with fingers are light and easy. They're small compared to us. And so it is with the Lord. In verse 4, David says, What is man that you are mindful of him? He might have been remembering his days when he was a young shepherd boy tending his father's flocks outside of Bethlehem. And while lying on his back in the cool, dark evenings, looking at the vastness of the universe, you know how it is when you're out in the country and you're away from the city lights, how many more stars you can see. David might have been remembering the evenings when he would just lie on his back while he was watching the flock and seeing the stars and the planets and the moon and found himself thinking, who am I that the Lord of the universe would even want to know my name or want anything to do with me. 
What a refreshing breath of humility this is. Whereas sadly, a lot of Americans tend to have the mindset of, well, God needs to know who I am. (laughs) And here's David going, oh my goodness. God knows me. He wants to know me. He cares for me. Like he's like he's like one of the he's like a fan for one of the world's most famous celebrities that where, where the celebrity maybe goes up to the fan and calls him by name and the fan goes you know me I'm not even in show business you I'm just a little pe- I'm not even famous in my neighborhood you're a celebrity that goes all over the world and people paparazzi follow you and all that. Well, David kind of seems to be feeling that way with the Lord. You're famous, Lord, and you know me. And you care about me. There is no entitlement here in David's prayer. He rightly sees the Lord for who the Lord is, and he rightly sees himself and who he is. The word mindful in verse 4 is, uh, in the original language, it means to remember, to recall, or to call to mind, to, to give thought to something, or to remember someone. This means that out of all that God created, all the things mentioned here in this psalm that God created, He has a special interest in us that he doesn't have in the rest of creation. It also means that even when you feel like you've been forgotten by God, you haven't been. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. And he cares what you're going through. Well, how do we know God cares for us, you might ask? Well, we can start with the gospel, and we could go even more further, but the gospel makes it clear. Paul wrote in Romans 5, uh, verse 8, God demonstrated his own love for us. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ's death not only made it possible for repentant sinners to be forgiven and to have eternal life, but it also unlocks a boatload of promises that God has given to his children that he doesn't give to anybody else or any other part of his creation. In fact, uh, uh, 17th century British theologian John Owen uh, once said this about God's care for us. The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay upon the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him, is not to believe that he loves you. I've been guilty of that. How about you? And that John Owen quote convicted me in my devotions a few weeks ago, and so I want to let it convict you now. <laughs> I think I've mentioned that before. If it convicts Pastor Kerry, it's going to show up in a sermon. <laughs> He's going to share it with us so the conviction can be shared. <laughs> I don't want to hoard any conviction or guilt, okay? So, how do we apply this? He cares for us passionately. What do we do with this? Well, I think we can be comforted by prayer. If we pray in humility, we can be comforted by prayer. Verses 3 and 4 mean that there is nothing too big for God to handle, and there is nothing too little for Him to care about. 
We can also be comforted by the fact that the highest authority in the universe wants to hear from us. He wants to hear from us. He wants to comfort us. He wants to provide for us. And so failing to pray, as you can imagine, is to miss out on a great opportunity and to turn down a very important invitation. This is why I think the Lord wants us to see prayer as a privilege, not a burden or an entitlement. It's a privilege because of who God is, and it's not an entitlement because of who we are. Because we sin against God, we deserve nothing but judgment from Him. But in His great love and mercy and grace, through Christ, He invites us to come. Look at verse 5 with me, the second half. Uh, David continues and says, You've crowned him, meaning man, with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Here's a third reason why we should approach the Lord in humility when we pray, and that's that the Lord graciously crowns us. He graciously crowns us. The Lord making us governors over his creation should humble us because we did nothing to earn it, and we certainly don't deserve it. Yet the world tells us the exact opposite that we do deserve it, and we have earned it. Yet according to the scriptures, no, 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 no. We've been, we've been blessed, and we've been blessed like children born into a royal family that did nothing but just be in the right place at the right time, and, and, and God as our king has, has given us a crown as princes and princesses to help govern the kingdom of his creation. It reminds me of when Paul was writing to the proud Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, who thought that all they had and their gifts were because of themselves. And Paul says to the Corinthians, what do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? His point obviously was to the Corinthians that everything we have comes from the Lord. And if you don't think that, be careful, because he might remind you of that. Jobs can leave quickly. The Lord can take a house away, a spouse, a child, your health, to make a point that everything you have comes from him. Therefore, we should honor the Lord with everything we have. So he graciously crowns us. Here's the application. We should be humble in prayer. We should be humble in prayer. Psalm 8 is a reminder that we need to know who we are dealing with when we go to him in prayer. We need to clothe ourselves with humility so we can praise God even when we don't feel like it. So we can guard our hearts from turning requests into demands. We need to humble ourselves enough to know that the difference between a want and a need and to be okay when God gives us what we need instead of what we want. And we need to be humble enough to take a no or a not yet as an answer. 
He graciously crowns us, so we should be humble in prayer. Alex Haley uh, was the author of the famous book, Roots. He used to have a picture in his office of a turtle sitting on a fence post. It was there to remind him of a lesson that he learned when he was young. If you see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know he had to have had some help. Mr. Haley would tell his friends that anytime I start thinking that I've gotten to where I am because I'm really good at what I do, or I start to feel proud of look at what I've done and what I've accomplished, I just look at the picture in my office of the turtle on the fence post. And that turtle's me, he says. And I just remember that somebody helped the turtle get up on the fence post. Do we have any turtles here today? Do we have anybody here today that can say, yeah, I've gotten to where I am because the Lord was good to me. I've gotten to where I am because God's been gracious to me. He's provided for me. He's enabled me. He's blessed me. This is why I think the Lord wants prayer to be seen as a privilege, not a burden and not an entitlement. It's a privilege because of who God is. It's not an entitlement because of who we are. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I know that in a room this size, there may be some that are very discouraged with prayer. They've cried out to you for things that are very important to them, and maybe they've not gotten what they hoped for. Father, please would you show them whether the answer they're getting or not getting is because they're praying wrong, or there's maybe unconfessed sin of their life, or, Lord, show them perhaps that you have something better. Father, there are others here today that perhaps um, don't pray very often at all, don't feel they know how. Lord, would you please use this series to help them grow in that area of their relationship with you? Would you deal with their their pride and self-consciousness of feeling like they have to sound just right or use the right words like a formula. Please, Lord, would you just help them to see David's authenticity here. He's just real. Father, I ask, please, would you work in our church and in me and through our members by your spirit to help us become as Jesus said a, a house of prayer would you, would you as the disciples said in Luke 11 teach us how to pray so that we can see a great moving of your spirit in our church and through our church and in this community we have a lot of talented hard workers in this church Lord Certainly all of our gifts, talent, and health have come from you, but Lord, I fear that we, we become good at doing things for you. And we're, 
we still need to grow it, asking you to do things that only you can do. So please, Lord, teach us how to pray. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.